Welcome to On Scripps Biblical World, a podcast exploring the history, archaeology, geography, and cultures of the Bible. Visit us at onscriptstudy biblicalworld. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Biblical World Podcast. This is Matt Lynch coming to you from Regent College in Vancouver, although technically I'm on the road right now, so hence the quality of the recording here just from my laptop. But perhaps that's fitting for this episode as it's from the field again uh, from Telberna. Chris McKinney will be interviewing Stephen Ortiz about his work and about archaeology more generally. So hope you enjoy this. And as always, share the word about what we're doing. We'd love for others to hear this and give us a rating or review if you feel so inclined. We appreciate that as well. But most of all, thanks for listening. Welcome back, OnScript Biblical World listeners. We are having our second uh, field session or field episode here at Telbernau. We're in almost our last week of, of excavations. We are literally sitting on top of a tower that dates to uh, the 8th century BC. Uh, the very towers that Hezekiah's armies would have been trying to protect uh, the city uh, from the invasion of Sennacherib. Uh, unfortunately for the poor souls that lived here, it was destroyed in the 8th century, but we're continuing to work, and you can hear the sounds of pickaxes and martial towns and buckets and goofas and all those wonderful sounds of uh, an excavation in the background. Today, I am joined by my colleague and friend, Steve Ortiz, Professor Steve Ortiz of Lipscomb University, the Lanier Center for Archaeology. Steve, tell us about uh, how things are going here. Well, it's been a great season. Uh, a lot of uh, accomplishments, a lot of questions that we had in previous seasons that we're, get, we're solving right here. We're still, uh, we joke about it, we were at Gezer for the longest time, and uh, because of COVID, we brought our largest team out, uh, and basically we, all of our students have scholarships to come and excavate. Uh, several of our excavations, we had our Egypt project in between the terms, and now everybody's coming out to Korea, and we have our classical New Testament site on Cyprus, and we had a team there, and most of that team joined us here at Talberna, where we have our first millennium or our Old Testament site. Our, our students are able to experience uh, the various uh, historical periods, where our, our seasons, and Talberna is one of our big uh, study uh, excavation. So we have a team of about 20 to 25 students here that joined the, the Berna team here. And it's been a nice marriage between the old Berna staff and the new Gezer staff moving over. Yeah, as, as someone that uh, came up, let's say, well, I'm obviously American, but I came up in the Israeli system through Bar-Ilan University. It, it's great to mix mix the two, you know, uh, see the American system and Israeli system come together. And it's just been awesome over the last, this is the third third year that we've been uh, together, and you, it's it's it, as you said, it's like a marriage. You know, Solomon at Gezer had to get the dowry from from Pharaoh, and now uh, the tools have come, and this is the dowry. We came with a nice dowry. We had all of our <laughs> picks and tools, and one of one of the things that we do here on on Biblical World is, well, of course, we talk about the wider biblical world, and so one of the things I'm I'm you know, really intrigued by is all the different projects you guys have, have are, are working on at the same time. And we're happy to have you here at, at the, the project I've been on for 12 years or so. 
But it's so cool to see, as we were watching uh, Terry Nichols last night, for instance, talk about the Karnak project and see that Lanier um, and Lipscomb is not just only involved in the Bronze and Iron Age stuff that we hold dear, but they're involved in stuff in New Testament archaeology in Cyprus, and they're involved in you're going to to Jordan and 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 a Decapolis city, um, and so it's it's good to see that this this new center, which continues the Tandy's uh, vision, is 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 continuing, and it's um, and but this is exactly what we're trying to accomplish on this podcast is to expose listeners to the wider biblical world, not to prove the Bible uh, true, but to, to know much more about the biblical landscapes. And archaeology is a huge part of that. And so maybe maybe you could tell us a little bit about, uh, in a little bit more detail about some of these other projects you have going. And then we'll also talk a bit more about uh, Tel Gezer uh, and the ongoing project there. Sure. Well, let me put it in context. You talked about the Linear Center. There's two components Number one is we have a research institute, which is why we have a lot of projects. We want to have an impact in the scholarly discussion, particularly of biblical history and how archaeology interfaces with that history. The second component is uh, an academic program. So we have a master's program. We have about 10 MA students and a PhD program. We have about 22 PhD students. So it's not just doing the research, but we're also training the next generation of hopefully evangelical scholars to... Uh, use archaeology to help flesh out biblical history. And, and I would I would add that if you're interested, this is a great program, and you can be number eleven uh, and the MA student. It, it's a it's a great program. You know, biblical world listeners, we tend to have a lot of bachelor degree, master's degree, PhD scholars out there that are uh, interested in what we're talking about in biblical world. So if you're interested in a, in a great program, uh, look at the Lanier uh, Center for Archaeology at Lipscomb University. And the reason it's a great program is it's not theoretical based, but it's you're actually doing it, which is why we have this marriage between our field projects, our research projects, and students being involved with them. So we have projects all over the world, we have a project from Kazakhstan, which is a transition between Christianity and Islam. A later period, we have a project in Egypt that's more of an epigraphic survey project. It's not necessarily excavating in traditional sense, but you're documenting the 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 stones, the accounts on the um, on the walls of Karnak Temple. Uh, and with that, we just hired our Egyptologist that we had at the Tandy. So I want to give a shout out. I'm, I'm sure he's been on the program. Are you going to have him on the program, uh, Mark Jansen? Yeah, Mark is actually one of our co-hosts here. And so we've heard him talk about the Merneptah wall, the Cor de la Keshet or Cachet, depending on how fancy you want to be when you pronounce it at Karnak. So for those uh, who remember Mark, uh, we've done, I think, four or five episodes so far, and we're continuing the Bible in Egypt. So he's now working at the at Lipscomb University as part of this program. Yes, yeah, so he's our one of our tenured faculty members, and we'll expand our our course offerings and uh, continue our research. Uh, from Egypt, we have two projects in Israel. The Tal Gezer project was our main project. We uh, dug there from 2006 to 2017, and uh, we dug for 10 seasons, and now it's time to stop and get it published. We have several of our PhD students working on different aspects of the project. But because we're an academic institute, we still need projects for students and study. So I was on my sabbatical in 2016 looking for 
projects to join, also for our research. And uh, our students excavated a large major Judean city at Tel Gezer. And it's like, let's see how they look, how things looked in the country or in a smaller site. Uh, and um, I've looked at several projects and it was just a joy to work with Itzak. We, we saw our teams mounting together. There was a, a space for us. And so uh, part of your research design is the people you work with and also the research itself. So this was a great uh, time to uh, bring both of our, of our teams together. And it's, it's exciting because you're seeing differences between how the Judeans lived on the coast under a administrative city and how they lived in the in the hinterland closer to their uh, the hills here. Right. So you we're, we're then looking at the northern Shvela versus now the mid slash central Shvela. And so on the northern end with Gezer, you have an interesting mix of it being right on the border with the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the Philistine coastal plain, and the international flavor. We're here at Tel Borna, we're we're still on the sort of looking towards the International Coastal Highway, but very much focused back towards Hebron and the hills that I'm looking off now towards the east and, and looking to those same Hebron hills. And so it's interesting to see the same contemporary uh, buildings and fortifications, which are quite large here and, and very nice, but still we, we try not to uh, boast too much about our site. We, we didn't build it after all. And we realized that this is a, a fortress that we're here we're digging at Tel Borna, uh, versus Gezer, which is a real city, what I like to call one of the where's where's, you know, the who's who's. It's one of the where's where's in the in the land of Canaan and in the land of Israel. Steve, what what specific things at Gezer, you know, we, since you've gone through a 10-year project and you had to build off of other people's excavations over the years, uh, Deaver and others, and especially the, the big bad one in the <laughs> 100 years ago with McAllister, what are the current projects you're working on we're we're in an excavation now at Telborna that is ongoing we're getting you know we're, we're we're certainly in the second half of the overall project and we're moving towards publication final publication what are the things that you're working on in terms of final publication but maybe even some specific papers uh, and articles that we can look for down the line well w- one of our surprises is we have a great late bronze age strata and and this is just a hot topic now. Even here at Berna, you have this large late Bronze Age occupation. And we talk about border transitions. There's also shifts in people chronologically. So you have this Albi to Iron Age shift, which is pretty keen for biblical history. You're going from the Canaanites to the Israelites as they're shifting uh, occupation. That's political boundaries, cultural boundaries, e- etc. So one of our big projects is we have, and it just came out in Bar recently, the Biblical Archaeological Review, our uh, Merneptah destruction. And this ties in nicely with our project in Egypt because we're doing the Merneptah um, wall at the core of the Cache. And we have Merneptah destruction at Gezer. Uh, we've written a couple articles on late Bronze Age Gezer that are coming out. We have one uh, one of the things our research design is Gezer is a site that's occupied from the Iron Age all the way to the MB. Yeah. And we wanted to get a nice chronological picture of that. So we, we were purposeful in digging by the Solomonic Gate all the way down. So we have these series of occupations and uh, we have a, another article coming out on our C14 dating. 
So just like archaeologists are looking at the pottery transition, we now have a great transition for C14 dating, and that's one project coming out. Uh, we have two of my PhD students, one working on the Iron Age occupation. This is the period between Joshua and Judges. And then we have one working on the Solomonic period, and that's our 10th century. And we have a unique find where we have this large administrative building during Solomon's period. It's destroyed by Shishak in the biblical text. And on top of that, we have domestic buildings, but they're not Israelite. They're some other segmented houses. And it looks like the Canaanites were still living in the region once Israel had to contract. And we have this in the, in the biblical text of uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Rehoboam, you know, bringing the, the line of fortifications up into the hills and further up. So Gezer's no longer under the auspices of, of Judah. And all of a sudden, it looks like these Canaanites came back and just started building domestic houses on top of the Solomonic destruction. And then it, it's only to the 8th century that we came back with Uzziahs, they probably able to expand. Mm -hmm. And we have a nice Judean city, four-room houses, casemate wall, the four-chambered gate, etc. And so we have this border expansion. So that's the research we're doing. We're looking at these different periods. And it's nice because I'll have a, a student writing a PhD dissertation on each period. Each period yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I love to, to even think about that. And when we, when we talk about Gezer, even the idea of, of the Canaanites and the Israelites and how they're relating. And one of the big questions that we've often, uh, Kyle uh, Keimer and myself have often talked about is, when do they just finally decide they're no longer Canaanites and become Israelites and Philistines? And Gezer's an interesting one because it's kind of at a pressure point when we think of the geography. Of course, it's on the International uh, Coastal Highway, which we never, ever call the Via Maris on this podcast. Hat tip to Anson Rainey. I mean, he, he did not like that term. But it, it's at a pressure point because it's such a strategic area. And so not only do you have these Canaanites that that seem to have continued on into the Iron Age, and now you're seeing it even deeper into the Iron Age. But you also have, of course, lots of pharaohs that are mentioned there. You just mentioned Merneptah, which is mentioned in the Israel Stele, which, uh, which, or the Merneptah Stele, which mentions Israel for the first time, which probably is depicted on the very wall that you're looking at at Karnak. And of course, you've excavated now uh, his destruction, but is mentioned on that, uh, on that Stele. But Shishak also mentions uh, visiting the site. So that the first one occurred in about 1205 BC. Shishak came in about 925 BC. But then the biblical text describes another pharaoh uh, who came to to Gezer and destroyed it. Now, presumably, this is Siamun, something like 980. And I, I think you guys have some potential evidence of this. No? Yeah, it, it doesn't mention a pharaoh. It mentions. It's sort of like a footnote. How did Solomon get this city? And it said Pharaoh gave it to him as a dowry for his daughter. So we have evidence of some political alliance. Uh, you know, Solomon's dad, David, did all the battles, and Solomon was a little bit lazier. He did more, you know, <laughs> uh, political alliances. Yeah, yes. He did more political alliances and, and grew the kingdom, and that's when, you know, it was growing. And, and so it looks like there's probably some Pharaoh that conquered Gezer and gave it to him. And sh sure enough, we have this uh, right before the Solomonic building, uh, destruction of the Iron Age to 10th century it, it continues. 
And the logical culprit for this is, you know, if we didn't have this biblical text, we wouldn't know yeah. this little nugget of history of how Solomon got it. And it's probably this uh, Siamon, this Pharaoh, who was trying to expand, you know, the... Yeah, we have a bull-eye that is typical of the 21st, 22nd dynasty. Um, it doesn't, it's not one that says Siamon on it, but it's kind of like the same artwork that he uses. So right. that's the most we can say on it. But uh, you put the history together, the archeology, span and all of a sudden you have this shift in the the culture there at Gezer, where it's Canaanite, and all of a sudden, boom, you have this new administrative Israelite structure. It's probably this um, evidence of this transition, this shift. Right, and and the interesting thing also at Gezer is it's destroyed a lot, but they come back. You know, Gezer is the kind of site that you're not going to leave for a while. Like, Borna, we, again, we like this place, but if they decided, you know, after the, the 7th century, you know, we've been destroyed enough, let's leave. And, you know, conditions change, but Gezer, uh, being where it is on the main road and the main entrance into the area of Jerusalem, it's a site that's going to be continually occupied. And, and so you have just this density of not only occupation, but, you know, several... Iron 2A destructions and Iron 2B destruction, and it's it's clearly that this was a, a fantastic site. So let's let's transition a bit and let's talk about you got these research papers you're working on. What's it like now as the project's over? Because you're working some on the weekends and you're working in the lab and you've now set up the lab at Jerusalem University College and there's an interesting new relationship there. What, what, with also Oliver Hersey, another one of our podcast uh, uh, co hosts here, what is it like to continue an archaeological project once the pickaxes stop swinging? Uh, how, how, what does it look like as you're, as you're now moving around things, laying out shirts? Just to give our, our listeners some insights into the ongoing archaeological project once the actual digging is finished? I always say this is a loose thing. For every season you're out, it takes two years to process that material. So if we dug for 10 seasons, that means we have minimally 20 years to get this material out. Now, we should get it out within 10, 15 years, and, um, but that's the amount of data we have. Uh, most of this is lab work, and what we try to do is we try to raise money for students to come here, live in Israel for a year, so they can be working with the data. I have my co-director, Sam Wolf, who's my Israeli counterpart, and he's here every year in the lab. Uh, it's not the, the directors that are doing all the research. Yeah. You have a team of people, so we have uh, somebody looking at our, 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 our bodies our human bodies. We have somebody looking at our animal bodies, all the bones there. We have the students doing the stratigraphy. And so we have so many specialists involved, uh, probably 25 people that each have publishing responsibilities. So just like a field director, you're still organizing all these teams of people. Um, and the thing is to bring all this information together so we can reconstruct the past. And yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, that's the fun part, but it's also the, the tedious part where you're just in a lab looking at small pieces of whether it's shells or bones or pottery. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's again, the goal, the goal when we start, when we open the first square with a pickaxe is a publication and it's the, 
that that's the if we don't end up with the Gezer volumes one two three four five or whatever these are going to be titled on the shelf, we're not doing it right. And the same thing's true for Borna. We're always thinking about not only why we would open an excavation area, but then how will it be published, not only in a preliminary way, not only in terms of publication, but also in terms of this final publication. Which leads me to another question. It's funny, um, just this last week, there was another destruction at Gezer. And I heard many people uh, saying, oh no, Gezer is destroyed once more uh, in the age of COVID with a fire that burned the top of the tell. And maybe we'll post a, a link to this to this fire. Tell us why this wasn't such a big concern to you and actually why it's a great benefit. And, and, we're, and again, we're not you know, advocating for other people to go burn ancient cities, uh, uh, but, but tell us why this is an interesting opportunity. Well, these tells have this overgrowth and these weeds that grow up, you know, sometimes five feet, six feet. Uh, ironically, uh, myself and another team member were just there on Sunday taking pottery back to the site. Uh, uh, once we analyze in the lab and it's, we're not going to use it, we always take it back to the site. We don't dump it somewhere because all of a sudden we're going to create another towel and future archaeologists are going to come and excavate this pottery thinking it belongs to that site. So responsibly, we take the pottery back and we're complaining about we can't see anything. It's like we've been here just four years and we can't see any of the Solomonic architecture. Uh, we come back here to Berna. We're working that day. And in the evening, my phone's buzzing that Gezer was burnt. And uh, this is typical, just like in, I'm from California. We have these brush fires. Um, uh, it, it wasn't another pharaoh. No, no, we don't think so. It might have been the, <laughs> we complained to the <laughs> Parks Authority and they burned it down. You know, no, this is just, it's actually happened before in one of our excavation seasons where we had a fire. And the, the I mean, it's sad. Nobody, no homes were burnt. Uh, people were safe. But then after that, we start to do the research. And what it does, it's, it's like getting a haircut and seeing the shape of your skull. And so you have this haircut, everything's burnt down, it's all black, and you can see lines, you can see bumps, you can see um, walls. And so we immediately took our drone um, out, and I took a small team of, of staff and students, and we just walked the site. We were looking to see if we can see anything new, uh, uh, relationships, and uh, the, the good thing about it is we've always had a lower gate there that was excavated by Deaver. Yeah. And nobody knew about it. We, I kept pointing it out, but the weeds, you can never see it. And all my students that have worked on that project for 10 years, they're like, I've never seen this before. And we just have this massive ashlar masonry. We, here we're working in field G, and we have this sewer system, the capstones. We've done some investigation there. But there you can see the, the sewer system going all the way down into the wadi bed. So it just looks beautiful. So they're coming here like, we got to come back to Berna and find this sewer system. So... So you're like, no, no, this is a real gate. You know, at, yeah. at Gezer, we have a little, you know, small, it's still nice, Steve. I mean, it's yeah. still nice, but you know, this was a real one. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's why we go back. We yeah. have the drone. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, it, it's interesting because where we dig at Borna, there were past surveys that did that where they took fire to the entire site, but then the, it, it's a bull pasture. You're a national park we're a pasture for bulls. And so the, the local kibbutzniks from Beit Nir, they, they said, we'd love for you to dig, but please don't 
burn our pasture. <laughs> and so, yeah, our, our bulls will die. And and the, the funny thing was, is even our shirt this year is uh, we're surrounded by bulls. Our mini bulls surround me from Psalm 22 because we found zoomorphic vessels in past seasons from the late Bronze Age. And of course, Baal is often depicted as a bull. So the bulls would visit us in the late Bronze Age temple. We almost felt like it was the shade of Baal visiting us, uh, but we haven't been able to burn it. But if there ever is an opportunity for you know a burn, we will do the same thing and bring the drone out here. Okay, Steve, so let's, let's wrap this up. But if there's anything else you want to tell us about the Lanier Center for Archaeology um, in terms of uh, how people can get in touch with it or give to it or whatever whatever you want to add, now's your opportunity to, to, to uh, schmooze a bit. Well, I, I more want to thank Mark and Becky Lanier for their vision and the support. When we found out they were cutting the program at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, we were like, we have the largest program. What, what's going on here? And... Um, uh, what's happening? And I immediately called the former president, uh, Dr. Patterson. I said, he got me into this mess. You have to get me out. <laughs> and he said, I- I'm going to call a donor. And sh- sure enough, it was Mark and Becky Lanier. And Mark called us that night saying, look, this program's not going to die. The research has to continue. And he goes, oh, Becky and I are going to make sure you're okay. And he was an alumni of Lipscomb. University. Have you heard of Lipscomb? I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about it. He goes, it's Nashville, you you and Beth, my wife will enjoy it. Just, you know, I go like, look, a job, the research continues, I'm happy. I go, I'll go anywhere. And um, it, it's been a great place. It's taken us a couple of years to get settled and, you know, uh, get uh, all the administration going up at this new location. We're doing it during COVID. So it was Zoom meetings. I couldn't even meet with my fellow faculty members. But it's been a, a, a great time. We've um, uh, we've fallen down, but we've actually fallen up. And, yeah. and this is a, a great place uh, and I just want to, you know, uh, thank the Lanier's. They have a vision and they're supporting it. And I'm sure we need more people like them to, to join them in, in this um, this yeah, venture. Exactly. And and I would say, I mean, if we think of a historical situation, it's, it's you know, the original Texans came from Tennessee. So it's like going back, you know, going back to the going back to the homeland to, to Tennessee. And and I would I would just echo what you said, first of all. Great thanks to the to, to Mark and Bethany Lanier and also the Lanier Theological Library. If you're not aware, it's just a fantastic place uh, in Houston. It's it's free to the public to use. Great library and great resources. But just to add that when we're digging, it's there's no capitalism involved. <laughs> like we can't find anything that makes it to where it's financially beneficial. And yet what we're doing is really for everyone. It's not just for people interested in the Bible. We are, in, in essence, trying to uncover and preserve and present the the past so that everyone can benefit from it. And we need uh, people besides governments and besides funds from science, but we need individuals to, to see that vision and to give towards it and support it because it's absolutely essential. Otherwise, we won't know as much and it won't be as well preserved. Um, and, and, and both of us, I mean, we, we think it's very important um, and very interesting. And, and so if this is something that you're thinking about, of course, you could, of course, get in touch with us, but just something to be thinking about and how archaeological projects actually work and run. So anyway, we should wrap up. We got some pickaxes to swing, uh, some buckets to tag. But until next time, 
First of all, Steve, thanks for, for joining us in the field. I mean, we've been walking around all day, but to sit and take this time to, to talk to our listeners. But until next time on Script Biblical World, listeners, keep digging. Shout out to Kyle. That's his boy line. You've been listening to OnScript's Biblical World podcast. If you enjoy this show, please show your support by giving us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can support the show by visiting onscript.study/donate. Until next time, keep digging.